Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. And as we promised last time, we're going to continue to talk about my least favorite behavior. Your least favorite behavior. Oh, good. Last session, Deb got to to uh, therapize me. <laughs> so, I love to shop. I, I would have to put that in context. But compulsive buying or shopping and just explaining that to make sure that that I identify this right. Um, compulsive buying requires money. It, it is a transaction. But compulsive shopping does not require buying anything. Right. The act and, of just surfing, looking, uh, searching. When I first ran into that, there was I found a a person that was an expert in that, April Benson, lives in New York. And we actually spent a little time together because this was so unbelievable to me. How can shopping be an addiction? When I saw compulsive shopping, well, that meant buying, of course. Nope, it wasn't. So, Although in many cases, it does. Shopping equals buying. It can lead to buying. And she told me, yeah, there's people that will spend six, eight hours a day and not buy a thing and just be shopping and how that can become so addictive. So, so you've intrigued me. Tell me what is your least favorite thing? Well, I have to say that it's the shopping and I can't say it's the buying because growing up, I was one of three children. I've talked about it in my other book, in some of the other books, but in particular in Battle of the Titans, Mastering the Forces of Sex, Money, and Power. And where it showed up in that book is the arguments my parents used to have. And one of the arguments they often had, despite the fact that they were happily married for 50 years before my dad passed on their 50th anniversary year, my mom loved to shop. It was a pastime. It was an endeavor. It may have been an enjoyable day's event for her. But at night when she'd go to the stores because she was buying something, we, she would pull the kids in tow, or some of us, at least me, and we would shop until the malls closed at 9.30. And she was busy told, you know, checking out and paying for what she had shopped for. And the door to the mall, all doors were closed, except for that one door they leave open for that very late shopper. And that was always us. And we'd walk to the opposite end of the mall where the door was open, only to then walk back to the other opposite end where the car was parked. And we would spend days sometimes shopping. And I sat under the racks, the circular racks, and I'd hear the screeching of the 
of all the hangers. And I have these visceral memories and I disdain shopping because I spent so much time bored to tears where my mom would shop. And so today I avoid it like the plague. The thought that people go and shop for pleasure is just beyond what I can personally relate to. I understand it for others. And while I need to buy, I go in, I buy, I leave. That's it. <laughs> and that's all I'm willing to do. If Unless someone says, even if you had a friend, wouldn't it be more fun? Mm, no, not really. <laughs> wow, that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine there's a few listeners right now that are probably ignited. <laughs> I'm sure they'd say, let me get my hands on you. I probably need a personal shopper. That might help. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's so interesting because when you said boredom, the boredom of it. Waiting. Yeah. I can imagine that because I can relate to the fear of boredom. I used to, when somebody would suggest kind of going back our, at our talk with workaholism, what would you do on a day off? And I'd be like, I have no clue. I can't even think of what I do on the day off. And boredom was like the worst thing possible that could happen. Well, just take some time for yourself. Put your toes in the dirt. Just be. And I just like, what are you talking about? So I'm I'm curious. I'm curious what's behind the fear of boredom. Well, I perhaps misnamed boredom. I, I, it felt like such a waste of time that All I right. had to sit right. and endure. Right. Sitting there on the floor, cross-legged under the racks, waiting or sitting on some chair in a waiting in a dressing room. It felt like it was an unending process. It had no end. It just would keep going on and on. Yes. And it was, I mean, I was powerless. I, I mean, I, Suppose I could have rebelled and at some point I did and said, I'm not doing this. Right. But it made no sense to me. Right. And I'm going to just make some guesses. I would guess in a way there was no adult there to help you process this because I'm assuming (laughs) that the adult wasn't available. Like, I hate this. The adult was shopping. Exactly. And here's the other thing I made of it. I thought to myself, well, mom, after everything you're buying, what is different from what you bought the last time we did this? And what is it that is not working about or doesn't look good or isn't fitting about the clothes you bought last time? And how is this going to possibly be different this time? Mm-hmm. Those were the thoughts that went through my head. So I'm sure I came up with a fair amount of money scripts, as in <laughs> money does not, is not for buying clothes. Clothes is just to endure. <laughs> because most of the time she would be shopping for clothes. Most of the time, yeah. It was, it was clothes shopping. Wow. Yeah, she was not happy with how it looked when she got home or it didn't fit or she would just return it. And I used to joke that my mother had the first factoring business in this country. (laughs) Just hold the chair. (laughs) So I think that's a great example of a 
I'm guessing, a combo mm-hmm. of compulsive shopping and compulsive buying. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's also something to it, especially when you return a lot. Yeah. And Which I will not did. name any of the women I was I relate to or I know of that do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I say to myself, much to my detriment, you know, it's not that I just don't like shopping today. I know that it's important. I there are times when I say, okay, I'll just go and I'm gonna spend some time and I'll buy the clothes I need to buy. But it's not an endeavor that's pleasurable. It's an obligation. It's a, it's a chore that I have to do. Yeah. As it was as a kid. That's exactly what it was, right? Yeah. It exactly. was an obligation and a chore. Yeah. So we uh, suggest in, in the book that there's a difference between compulsive shopping and compulsive buying. Mm-hmm. I am wondering, in the same way that we can justify workaholism, because of the kudos, because of the increase in money, because of everything it gives us, that there could be a similar dynamic with buying or just compulsive shopping with no buying involved. It's like, yeah, well, I, I'm not spending money. Well, so I think it gets to money? that reward system of filling some sense of, well, if it's about self-medicating and or avoiding, in truth, spending hours shopping really preoccupies somebody's time and energy from something else. So it might be an avoidance behavior or a preoccupation to um, distract from something else that is more painful, problematic, frustrating, whatever it may be. Which again, to our your point, buying is different. People can fill carts all day long and never buy them online or go to a store. But buying is the actual culmination of purchasing with money. And that becomes problematic, as you know, because then that is attached to at times debt. Yes. I mean, that can directly impact your financial well-being is when we're compulsively buying. Compulsively shopping, and I'm kind of going back to our previous discussion. Or spending, shopping or spending. Or shopping, sorry. Compulsive shopping is it it may not be a problem until it's a problem. And maybe the best way to know that is in partnership with someone. Hmm. Because? Because you are always shopping. I wanted to go do this. I wanted to do this together with you. We talked about having uh, a date on this particular night, but you got caught up at the store and didn't even realize that yep. time had come and gone. Time again, and you're, you're running late, and now we missed the beginning of the show or the movie, or right. we would do dinner before movie, and now we can't. And to your point, when I'm that engrossed, I mean... <clears throat> I think it has it. It probably doesn't have to have to in the case, but it's like there's something I'm covering up. There's something I'm medicating. There's some painful emotion that I am uh, running from, and I may not even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very. Because it's like, well, try this on if you're listening to this and wondering. So just imagine yourself not shopping. 
that oh. don't shop anymore. <laughs> They're done. I can, I can hear out in the ether a lot of gasps. Oh, my God. You know, just I would imagine like thinking of ending any addiction that it, there is complete panic. Yeah. I often say to people, if you think you have a problem with something like you just proposed, notice what happens when you no longer engage, whether it's drinking, smoking pot, gambling, spending, working. It isn't the fact that I can stop anytime I want. See, look, I did it. It's not that it's not for that purpose. The purpose is to notice what happens for you when you're not engaging in those behaviors. So when you no longer are shopping, what comes up for you? Do you notice frustration? Do you notice angst, anxiety, fear, a preoccupation of, I don't know what to do with myself or, or yeah, but, or the what ifs? Does it feel like a loss of some sort? And these are the noticings that are so helpful for that introspective search. Yes. In uh, IFS, we call those trailheads. Say, what is a trailhead? A trailhead is the beginning of a trail, right? We have them all over oh. in the Black Hills. Ah. It's, uh, it's, the, uh, it's like the headwaters of a, of a creek, which turns into a river, et cetera. Right. So I know what a trailhead is in hiking, but that's an interesting concept paired with IFS, internal family systems, parts work that the book is rooted in. So yeah. it's the beginning of a journey. And it's a, the beginning of a journey, journey. Like, oh, there's a trailhead. That means the path wow. leads somewhere. somewhere. Oh, interesting. What am I going to discover going down this path? Huh. Have no idea. Right. And some people say, and I don't want to know. Oh, yes. Most of us don't want to know. Right. And uh, nothing to see here, folks. Let's just move along. Yeah. So how do you, when you uncover that, okay, I've stopped shopping. I am noticing, which is a huge step forward to be aware of everything you listed. Let's say that I, I'm aware, oh, my God, I get so, oh, I feel this, I feel that, I feel that. Then what is the next step? Because a lot of people will go back to shopping. Yeah. They'll say, well, okay, great. I noticed this. Now what? <laughs> yeah. And Out to the back, store. Yeah. Back to the store. Okay. I noticed, spent the day noticing, and now back to where I was. Let's pick yeah. up where we left off. And I think that if... The, the individual is looking to change a behavior or is aware that there is a problem with their behavior, making the unconscious conscious or creating an awareness around what it is I want to change is the first step again, because if we don't know what it is we're changing, then we can't really affect any behavioral modification. So the next step is, okay, I noticed that when I'm not shopping, I'm home and I'm anxious. I want to do something to get out of this discomfort. Mm -hmm. And if shopping seems to be the 
fused behavior or the coupled behavior to whatever it is, that might just be the symptom. The shopping is the symptom of the underlying problem, not the problem, although it may have become the problem, it is not the underlying problem. And isn't that true in every one of these um, behaviors? Yeah, very, very Symptoms of something deeper. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I first started doing this uh, work with uh, Ted Klontz, he he would say, well, the interesting thing about this uh, financial therapy stuff, money and emotions, is that every uh, problematic behavior leads to the same room. (laughs) (laughs) The one in which I'm sitting. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like it's all going to the same source. And I think that's that is really important to understand that it, you, this could be drinking. It could be all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the symptom is money and specific things and behaviors and money. And I want to bring in IFS. We just touched on it. You said a trailhead before. There may be a part of me that is well aware that I don't like to shop. And then there is a part of me that says, well, okay, I got to buy some clothes, whether I do it online or I go to a store, I need to buy clothes. And so I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'm just going to try clothes on and order them. I mean, it just happened the other day. I had to order some shoes and of course they didn't fit. So I had to send them back and then they came in the new size, had to try them on. That's just laborious to me. But there's a part of me that knows, look, I got to get through it because I can't walk around barefoot in the world and I need shoes for for a certain uh, event. So we have parts of ourselves that are well aware and parts of us that we talk about as the exile and the protector part that wants to keep that pain out of view and from getting hurt. Yep, but totally. I guess let me ask you, I'll pose the same question back through the lens of IFS or parts. What happens now that we discover, oh, so the shopping is a symptom attached, you know, showing the trailhead to something deeper. Yeah. So that the, the symptom, the shopping, is an activity of a protector, to your point. The protector is, let's divert, let's do whatever we can to keep this exile, exiled, mm-hmm. isolated, put away. So when we get to a place where that protector can kind of step back a little bit so we can then become aware of that exile. Okay, so we're not shopping. The protector's protecting has been pulled back. And now here comes the wounded part. Here come all the emotions to this wounding. Well, in IFS speak, it's now time to work with that vulnerable part, which can be very challenging. And what often happens is the protector says, see, this is what we're trying to, I told you it was going to be bad. Boom. This is what I was trying to tell you. Now you went and ruined it because now you got to deal with it. That's right. And actually the shopping part can be a manager there's two types of protectors or a firefighter. And a firefighter just says, we're putting this fire out. Right. Shutting it down. <laughs> this has gotten out of control. Probably shopping addiction is possibly more of a manager, but I'm not sure. They can be either. Anyway, I'm getting into the weeds. 
The point is to get some permanent healing resolution with this wounded part. That protector needs to be in complete agreement with you getting in contact with that exile and witnessing its story and its pain. Because if the protector isn't on board, it's going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And in IFS, this is going to a exile without permission. So we're fighting ourselves. We have defenses that show up. In other words, if the protector is not on board. Course, and this is why we can do anything for 30 days, right? Yeah. We can tie that protector up and in a way exile <laughs> that protector. And it's going nuts. But uh, oftentimes in IFS, we start, well, oftentimes we do start with the protector. And learn about it, learn about its job, when it is start doing its job, what it does it fear if it doesn't do its job. Mm. Is it tired of its job? And most protectors are going to say, yeah. Well, yeah, if 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 this uh, uh, tremendous uh, fear, this uh, uh, super emptiness or... Uh, isolation or whatever it is, if that wasn't there, and which is really hard for the protector to even imagine. But just imagine that it's not there, that this exile isn't having the pain. Would that change anything for you? And the protector almost always says, oh, yeah. Yeah, if that wasn't there, yeah, we wouldn't have to shop. I mean, I could, we could shop when we needed to shop. And the protector, you can ask, well, is that the role you'd like? What role would you like if that part is healed? Well, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to be in charge of shopping, but without the urgency, because this is getting tiring. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking of the, my own personal experience shopping clothes wise, but I want to broaden this because there are people who buy cars to restore, or they buy furniture to restore, or they just collect, or they like to collect different objects, right? For art, so forth. Mm -hmm. Regardless of the price point, regardless of the cost of the object, Mm -hmm. it's the act of buying and shopping, not necessarily the price point at which one does it. And the negative consequences of this behavior that are either now compulsively based or addictive. And that's the important piece to keep in mind here, because the protector can be operating on any level for any person in any situation that this applies. Yep. And there's usually more than one. Mm, That gets complicated. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When, When you're working with IFS and you've identified an exile. There can be a number of protectors. One protector will step back. Okay, you can go talk to it. And another one comes in. So this sounds so convoluted for a couple that are arguing because they are parts within themselves, multiple arguments, right? They're at odds with each within themselves. And then spouse number one and spouse number two has their own internal system. And my God, mayhem ensues. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> we got to make sure they get aligned and we got to find a partner or a coupleship that do you like to shop? Do you like to buy? Do you like to save? Do you like to spend? <laughs> and that's where these arguments come from. 
Yes. And you identify something I think we say in the book somewhere that things can seem pretty good if your partner and you have the same protectors, if you both love to shop. And it's um, not a problem. Yeah, then, then there's not the friction. Usually, I think we frame this in the book as spending and saving. Yes, because that's the more, most common one. Yeah, two spenders, life is great. Let's go spend. But we suggest that the end is probably even more painful because both of us are aligned on that. Or if we're both savers, great. I mean, I can think of clients, I see more of those that are both were savers and uh, it, it comes becomes very harmful. In what way? Things around their house are not fixed. They're driving cars that aren't safe. Uh, there's exposed wires. They are not even spending to support making life safe. So they, there's a, a, a scrupulosity or rigidity that sets in on either end of the spectrums. Totally. And so let's take, you got a spouse, one that's a saver and one that's a spender. Well, theoretically, that's like having one of your feet in a bucket of ice and one of your feet on hot embers. And on the average, you're fine. <laughs> so as a couple, you've got a governor, you've got a resistance to each. Now, that doesn't make things fun today, but ultimately, I think, and this is all, I don't know any research on this, this is all theory, that the problem comes forward a little quicker. It rises to a friction point that's more noticeable, in other words? Yeah, because there's no friction point. Yeah, otherwise. the others until the wheels are coming off the financial bus. And then I would imagine at that point, because it's extreme on, on either saving or spending, that it's pretty significant. That's pretty yeah. problematic. I way think there's happens. more of a hope. And maybe I'm kind of hoping anybody listening to this that identifies themselves here with this can garner some hope that if you're in a partnership with somebody who's exactly opposite financially from you, that this can, this can be a good thing. Uh, this can be more hopeful. This can lead to resolving the issue before it becomes financially irreparable. Yeah. The couples that I tend to see in my office are the ones that are arguing because of a difference in one wants to save and one wants to spend. Yeah. And it also comes in, I want to retire sooner. I want to retire yep. Yeah, that's that, a, that gets down to the spending saving piece as well. Right. Yeah, but if they both want to retire, <laughs> reality could have nothing to do with this. <laughs> Until someday, oh my God, we're out of money. Yes. And we didn't anticipate that. And if they don't want to retire, well, yeah, you may have two work addicts. Uh, it may lead to the dissolution of the partnership. Mm -hmm. I also know plenty of couples where they both spend. They don't think they're spending for the same reason, and therefore they can rationalize and justify the spending, and they are in severe debt. Oh, my spending's okay, but your spending isn't okay. I'm spending for legitimate reasons. Yes. Here are those reasons yeah. versus your frivolous, impulsive spending 
that makes no sense to me. And if you partner didn't do that, we would be okay. Yes. It still comes out of the same till. Ultimately, it still comes out of the same relationship, even if it's separate bank accounts, because someone's got to make up the deficit somehow. But that's not un- unknown. It's not known or conscious in the moments that the thought is being had. And you've hit on something else that we'll talk about further into the book if we ever get there. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's slow going, but it's fun. The focus on the other. <laughs> yeah. And if they would get it, everything is solved. And I so get that because sometimes in my own relationship, it's like, how could it be any other way? My partner is the issue. This is the case. This is the one case that it's clearly their issue. And um, good, good couples counseling therapy would suggest, well, what is happening inside of you? Absolutely. Bring it back to the person. Bring it back to yourself if you're blaming your partner or thinking they're the problem, not me. And it takes two to change, but it's not necessary for change to shift within yourself. In fact, it has to begin with you. Yes. Thanks again. And we will see everyone next episode. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.